0: Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion and welcome back to the second half, week two of the F1 2024 car launch mini series that we have been doing. This is episode 6 where we're going to be talking about some of the big hitters as they unveil their 2024 cars. If you are, of course, new to this series, you would have missed the first five episodes where we talked about the Haas, the Williams, the Alpine, the state car, and of course, the Visa, Cash App, Racing Balls, RB, whatever you want to be calling it. We talked about those five cars in detail. And in those episodes, I talked about how they looked in terms of deliveries. Not that there was too much difference because most of them were quite Carbon uh, base as a foundation for their livery, but we did have a few surprises, most notably with the V-carb car, which came out last week. This week, of course, we are turning our attention to the Aston Martin, the Ferrari, the McLaren, the Mercedes, and of course the defending champions Red Bull. But all of that will be to come in the days ahead. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about Aston Martin, the AMR. 24 break cover for the first time I should say broke cover for the first time that's right almost forget English there but yes they did break cover for the first time this season with their launch which was quite an early one eight o'clock in the morning UK time on a Monday which was quite handy for a lot of people that were doing their morning commute into the office on Monday morning so nice for them to see that if they were interested and surprisingly it was a very short uh, short launch we didn't get the usual presidential address that we often get from Lawrence Stroll and you know talking to some of the technical people like Dan Fellows, for example and Mike Crack and of course interviews with Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. We didn't get any of that. We got a short video for about 90 seconds and then we got some renders of the new car and looking at the car for the first time I gotta say I'm not surprised it looks great. The Aston Martin yep the green is there for all to see. There is quite a bit more carbony colour on this car than I think we've seen in the past. But as I said, I think that's more keeping in with trying to lose as much weight as possible. But unlike some of the others that we've seen that have gone quite extreme on this, Aston Martin have overall produced a pretty good looking Formula 1 car. Is it as good looking and attractive as the V-carb car? Uh, maybe. I think the initial shock factor of the V-Carb car is obviously going to help its case, but this is certainly a very good-looking car so far. Second or third best from what we've seen, without a doubt. I'm sure some of you may have different opinions on that one, and that's absolutely fine. But so far, it looks a very good-looking Formula One car, as we've come to expect from Aston Martin. Now, looking at some of the technical aspects of this new car from what we could see, it was quite difficult at first because one i'm not an expert so sometimes i do need a little bit of uh, guiding in terms of what to look for specifically from the experts within the field and also aston martin they put out some quite low quality renders it was quite hard to look at the detail and and as as we said before i think in this modern era of formula 1 because the rules are so prescriptive meaning that a lot of the teams over time will often converge down a very similar concept. So if you've got any game changes or any potential differences where you feel that your rivals may not have come across or optimised to the degree you have, you're going to want to keep those secret for as long as you can. Of course, all will be revealed when we come to F1 testing and, and obviously the first few races of the season. But Aston Martin here have obviously done their best to try and hide some of their secrets. One of the first things I have noticed is the the front suspension layout. That is very similar to what we saw on the AMR23. It's still a posh rod, uh, and that was the word of Dan Fellows, the technical director, still keeping in line with the push rod front suspension. The wishbones do seem to arch a little bit, going down more so than they did last season. I think that's more to uh, promote the airflow going through the side pod inlets which of course have changed a little bit as well and we'll get into those because um, Aston Martin did do a shakedown today on the day of the launch so the car did look a little bit different to what we saw on the renders the side pod certainly was a part of that but we'll get into that momentarily so it's a push rod at the front no surprises there they've gone for a pull rod suspension at the rear this season now I say they've gone for it. It's an inherited part as part of their uh, customer agreement, if you like, with Mercedes. And going with a pull rod at the rear doesn't surprise me. I think we're seeing a lot of teams converge down that particular route. It'll be very interesting to see what Ferrari do because rumours have been going around that they've gone pull rod at the front and pull rod at the rear. So they're not going to converge like everyone else. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But um, yeah, as I said already, pull rod suspension at the rear for Aston Martin's in line with what I imagine Mercedes will be doing, as though they will be supplying those parts, and uh, obviously that means a different gearbox configuration from Mercedes as well. And uh, Aston Martin did confirm as well. A lot, a lot of people suspected that the push rod, pull rod, uh, sorry, front to rear. Uh, configuration combination seems to be the way to go they put out in their press release stating that the rear suspension had been optimized to maximize efficiency of airflow around the rear wing so yeah very very interesting stuff to see on that one Uh, one other thing i noticed was and this is quite interesting and this may if you're a mercedes fan listen to this this might also bring a little bit of hope towards what they're trying to achieve this season because this was quite a big thing and uh, i'll try to explain this as best as i can As, as i said already disclaimers out there I'm not an expert when it comes to the technical stuff a lot of this is based on stuff that I research or some feedback from some other experts in the field so you know some of this that I'm learning is some of it's new but some of it's stuff that I've understood from the past as well so I should put that out there in case I don't explain this as well as some of the experts probably will do when they do their own reviews but the upper forward leg wishbone uh, on the rear of the car, that's been mounted lower than last year. And I was comparing that to some images I saw uh, of the previous car. And the vertical angle that you normally get with the wishbone between the forward and rear leg of that upper wishbone, it's quite significant in creating what they call anti-squat. And uh, it's quite an increase on last year's car. Now, you're probably asking, what is anti-squat? What does it does? Well, ultimately, what anti-squat is doing here is it allows In this case, Aston Martin, to have a bit more control of the vertical movement at the rear of the car. Effectively, you could suggest here that this is uh, the aim of this is to try and control the porpoising better. And this is something that we saw Mercedes struggle so much over the last few years this ground effect rule set has really hurt Mercedes because they just have not been able to produce a car that is able to handle porpoising to a degree where they can ride the car as low as they possibly need to to generate all the downforce they've been trying to exert onto the car and that's ultimately one of the biggest reasons why they've lost so much lap time because they've just not been able to do that whereas Red Bull for example whenever you've seen Red Bull they always ride the car very, very low and they've always been able to control the porpoising problem so much better than everybody else, which is a huge reason as to why they've been successful. So this is quite a big change on the Aston Martin. It does lead us into the direction that Mercedes are going to be doing something very similar on their car. And of course, Mercedes themselves, they pointed this to be part of the disadvantage that they had in terms of the platform control which again you know ties in with the porpoising issue and the fact they weren't able to ride the car as low as they possibly needed to to generate all that downforce that they've been putting on so quite an interesting change there obviously uh, I'm expecting a new chassis it looks like there's going to be a new chassis on this Aston Martin we didn't really get a good chance to see it properly but obviously an updated front and rear suspension with a new gearbox the monocoque design looks a little bit different So it is very much keeping in line with what Mercedes are doing. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is a carbon copy of the Mercedes because it's not, you know, particularly the front of the car, Aston Martin would have gone and done a lot of their own ideas. But given how prescriptive the rules are and the changes that they know Mercedes would have made at the rear of the car and the suspension, it's likely that Aston Martin, when we see it in testing, will probably be quite similar to Mercedes to a certain degree. But as I said already, trying to keep in line with what Red Bull have been doing as well. Now moving on to the, the side pod inlet, we didn't really see this in the renders but we saw this on some images of the Aston Martin when it was doing the shakedown at Silverstone today and you can see the underbite uh, bottom inlet of the side pods that we've seen on a lot of these cars that Red Bull very much pioneered. This is a bit of a variation on this from Aston Martin and uh, obviously I imagine that that is quite interesting to see. I don't want to see everybody copying this particular Version, but it's nice to see their own version of this underbite side pod, if you like, to generate that airflow in and around the car, and obviously with the cooling and the side pods as well. So that's quite interesting. And uh, they've obviously changed the, the the roll hoop inlet as well. I should say, almost sound like I wasn't sure there. No, it, they <laughs> reading my notes here is uh, terrible sometimes when you record this live. But anyway. I digress the roll hoop inlet that has changed it's gone for that a structure but it's quite circular so it's quite open which suggests that there's a lot more room there for cooling even though these packages are going to be as tight as they possibly need to be there's plenty of cooling going on at the roll hoop as well which is quite interesting and uh, those were the changes I could see on the Aston Martin so far. So it will be quite interesting to see how they get on this season. I'm sure there'll be more that will be revealed over pre-season testing and, and the first few races. A lot of eyes will be on Aston Martin because this was a team that made a huge jump last season over the winter break. They went from a team that was in the bottom end of the midfield all of a sudden to the second fastest car over the course of one winter. So they can, they have proven that they can get this right and they can put themselves into a good position starting off. It'll be interesting to see how they get on throughout the season. And that seems to be the emphasis of what Aston Martin are trying to achieve in 2024. Uh, Dan Fallows was talking ahead of the launch. He said that, and I quote, we want to make sure we've got a good platform for development. And that's what we've been really focusing on. Uh, Another objective has been broadening the car's operating window across a wide range of circuits and we want a race car that is more of an all-rounder rather than one that just excels at a few. We believe that the AMR24 provides the ideal platform for in-season development and a sustained season-long challenge and that is very much the aim for Aston Martin this season. It's not necessarily enough for them now to build a car that is very good out of the gates It has to be a car that they can develop throughout the entirety of the season and one that they can really progress and hopefully uh, one that allows them to close up to the likes of Red Bull and maybe even Ferrari, McLaren and Mercedes who very much overhauled them towards the second half of last season. And Aston Martin, we saw them do a lot of experimentation on what was making their car work and what really wasn't making their car work and they did this from probably from Silverstone, Zandvoort onwards. It never really worked out for them until we got to around Brazil where Fernando Alonso, of course, had that brilliant podium for that long battle with Sergio Perez. And then after that, they really started to find their feet again and were really back amongst the big teams where they felt they belonged for most of the season. So that's going to be quite crucial for them. It's not enough just to build a good car. They have to make sure they keep that car good throughout the course of the season. Uh, One thing to note as well with Aston Martin that is quite relevant to what I've just mentioned they're still waiting for their new state-of-the-art wind tunnel at the new facility to be available to them. That, I heard, will be operational later this year. So this car will be the first to benefit from that new wind tunnel, and I'm sure they'll be hoping to incorporate that into the new car as soon as possible. The 2025 car, of course, will very much be built with that being used at its fullest. So it's going to be quite important for them. And I think... More than anything else, one thing Aston Martin will have to keep an eye on is the future of Fernando Alonso. I think him staying with the team is paramount to whatever success they'll be able to achieve, not only in 2024, but 2025 onwards. And I'm pretty certain that Fernando, whilst he still has an option to stay with the team beyond this season, he would no doubt be buoyed by the prospect of other options being made available to him. Uh, For example, We know it's likely that Red Bull probably won't consider Fernando Alonso because they'd want to protect Max Verstappen and they've already earmarked Alex Albon as a driver that could very much go in that car from 2026 onwards so they have that long-term plan in mind but then of course you get to Mercedes and we know what's happened at Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton is going to Ferrari in 2025 and that means there is potentially a seat available at Mercedes for 2025 for Fernando Alonso. The plan, according to F1 journalist Mark Hughes with The Race, suggests that Fernando is a plan B option for George as a teammate for George Russell for 2025. The plan at the moment seems to be keeping an eye on Kimi Antonelli in F2. And if he can excel in a manner which a lot of people seem to expect that he will, then Mercedes will most likely promote him straight into that car rather than bed him in at Formula 1 with a another team like Williams, for example, um, and, and get him in there. Now, that is quite a huge jump for someone like Kimi Antonelli. I would imagine not only would he have to be successful in F2 and potentially win the championship in his rookie season, but he will have to show levels that are beyond anything that we've seen from someone of his age since Max Verstappen. And I certainly have no doubts so that he can certainly pull it off from what I've seen of him. He looks an incredible talent. But is it too soon to put him in that car in 2025? Maybe. Fernando Alonso might be a more suitable option. But of course, anyone that's followed Fernando Alonso throughout his career knows that he is a driver that just doesn't settle into a team. He tries to take over. And that's not necessarily a criticism. That's a good thing as well. You do, all the best drivers have that characteristic about them. They don't just go into a team and expect to play second fiddle or just go with the grain and the, toe the company line. They try to make it their own and have complete control. I would be very surprised if Hamilton goes to Ferrari and accepts that it's Charles Leclerc's team. I'm pretty sure he'll want to make that his own in his own regard. So it will be interesting to see what happens with Aston Martin this season. Uh, Mike Crack has spoken about this quite emphatically, the team principal, and uh, he's made his intentions very clear. He was saying that They would honestly be delighted to continue with Fernando into 2025 and the year after. And the success of the car will be crucial in determining whether Fernando stays with the team. I'm sure Alonso will be keeping a close eye on how Aston Martin stacks up in the first few races of the season and how the development is going throughout the course of the year. He's got plenty of admirers. I'm sure there are a few potential options, but we'll have to wait and see very interesting times ahead for Fernando Alonso I mean we don't have to talk too much about what significance he offers to a team we saw that very much last season getting so many podiums for the team I think seven or eight in total if my memory serves me right and you know five in the first six races so he is very much a driver that a lot of teams would very much like to have in their car will Mercedes be one of them we'll have to wait and see but uh Absolutely crucial that Aston Martin can convince Fernando to stay. And from what Fernando's been saying, he seems seems quite happy with where he is at Aston Martin. He said the car looks fast. Hopefully it will be compared to the competition, but we'll have to wait and see. Last season was a pleasant surprise for Aston Martin in terms of where they were at the start of the season compared to where they thought they were going to be. So I'm very certain that we'll, uh, we'll find out if Aston Martin are able to convince Fernando to stay or if Fernando Alonso might fancy going to Mercedes or maybe even a different team in 2025 and beyond. Now, let's finish off talking about Lance Stroll, a driver that has come under a lot of scrutiny over the last few years, not only because of the nature of how he has found himself in the position that he is in at the moment through his father's back I don't think many people would argue against that. But at the same time, He is now an experienced driver in Formula 1. I think he's been in the sport since 2017, 2018, I believe. So he's very experienced in the sport. And as a result, there is a level of expectation that he will probably need to live up to. Now, whilst he was injured last season, I think a lot of people, especially those inside Aston Martin, would have given him the time and the patience he would have needed to try and build up his confidence again build up his performance to a level that they would deem satisfactory alongside Fernando Alonso. I I don't think many people were expecting Lance Stroll to be getting podiums week in, week out like Fernando was doing, but I imagine they would have expected him to be in the mix with the likes of the Mercedes, the Ferraris, the McLarens, and maybe on occasion even Red Bull, rather than straggling down the second half of the grid and struggling to get points at most races. His form picked up towards the back end of last season he had a few good races particularly at uh, Interlagos and also of course at Vegas he was pretty good there and I imagine Aston Martin will be hoping that Stroll can find a way to reach that next level and be much more a permanent fixture in that lead fight along with his teammate than he was in previous years at this point in time I'm still convinced that the only person that can decide Lance Stroll's future is Lance himself I, I don't imagine his father will have any potential ideas of trying to replace him or move him out of that team, I think it's very much Lance's call. But of course, ultimately what it comes down to is if Lance believes that he can get to that next level and compete with the marquee drivers and the top level teams in the sport. I mean, that's what he's there for. I'm sure everybody believes that they can. But for Lance, it very much is a mental battle as much as it is a physical one for him this season. So we'll have to wait and see how he gets on. Hopefully for his sake that will be the case but we will have to keep an eye on things and of course of Aston Martin as good as the car looks at the moment we're only going to find out if it can live up to the very high standards that it set for itself after the huge jump that it achieved in 2023. Will they achieve a similar one in 2024? Time will tell. We'll have to wait and see but until then guys I think that's all we've got time for for this episode on Aston Martin. I hope that was okay. For those of you that are quite new to what I'm doing here, hopefully that was all right for you. But of course, if you felt that it was pretty good, please do give us a five-star review. It really does help us out a lot on your favorite podcasting platform. In tomorrow's episode and that will be coming out on Wednesday, so you'll be hearing this on Tuesday morning, we will be reviewing the Ferrari, the 2024 Ferrari, the SF24 that will be driven by Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. A lot of anticipation and a lot of hope and expectation will be riding on this car for next season. Can Ferrari mount a much more significant challenge to Red Bull? than they did last season we'll have to find out but we'll see what the car is in full detail in tomorrow's episode but until next time guys thank you as always for tuning in please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember as always if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care Podcast Network.